0: It's very, very unfair what's happened to General Flynn, the way he was treated, and the documents and papers that were illegally, I stress that, illegally leaked. I would like to see a deal be made. I think a deal will be made. Doesn't sound too optimistic, but it's good negotiator. It's the art of the deal. And it's certain dogma that you need to adopt, and if you don't adopt it, you can be punished. It's time to make America great again. Join the movement. Neil A.
1: Caruso, The Neil A. Caruso Show Show Podcast time to dream big informative insightful and valiant leadership telling it the way it is to make a difference and welcome happy wednesday everybody the neil a. caruso show podcast on neilacaruso.com and on itunes uh welcome to this edition boy is there a lot to talk about on this wednesday um I did an exclusive interview before I taped uh, this portion of it, uh, a long exclusive interview with an NYU professor who was on my show on Sunday, the video live streaming show that we do Sundays at 12 noon live. And his name is Michael Rechtenwald, teaches at NYU. He was suspended back in the fall, right around the time, really right after, he had revealed his identity of his Twitter handle that he is in fact – Uh, who he is and uh, professed um, more conservative views from the mainstream liberalism that is on college campuses. And he spoke out about um, the safe spaces, uh, the need for coddling. We get into all of that later on. Uh, We did an hour and a half with him. Um, And frankly, you need to hear all of it. Um, I cannot cherry-pick What you need to hear. I think only you can decide how much you can take of that. Um, And frankly, if you're a parent that has a kid in college or you're a parent that has kids that you're possibly going to send to college or you're in college, you would probably understand it unless you um, believe in this, you know, these microaggressions and these, you know, all conservatives are bigots uh, mentality that is going on on college campuses. It's not just one campus, it is across the country. We see the riots, Chicago um, protests today, just because a conservative is about to speak. That being Corey Lewandowski, the former campaign manager for the Trump campaign. And it goes on. You see Berkeley, NYU, on and on and on. And so we talk about the indoctrination with concrete facts of what is going on. And by the way, the former president, Barack Hussein Obama... I tell you about what he is doing and what his involvement is in trying to ruin the Trump presidency. You heard that right. I'm not misleading you. I'm not being overdramatic here either. I'm being dead on serious. Okay? Behind the scenes, he is involved in an organization that is promoted on his website— That is bringing in millions of dollars to pay professional protesters. I'm just telling you the facts here. This is reported, but not widely. And so I'm going to disseminate it because it is crucial for you folks to know and understand. So that's coming up with the NYU professor, Michael Rechtenwald. Very important. Very, very important. And why... We must change things and how we can change things. And that was the last question I asked him was, all right, where do we go from here? Because we are so entrapped in this. And the education is not education anymore. It is an agenda-driven educational system driven by uh, left-wing professors and activists you stifle free speech and do not let other points of view go on campus when the whole point of college is supposed to be about fostering free speech, promoting free speech, and promoting debates, and that's just not happening. I mean, remember the movie The Great Debaters? I actually saw that at Christmas when it came out, and, um, you know, we need to go back to just having some great debates. I even did— Um, When I was working for uh, my college radio station, I did a um, debate once between uh, the college Democrats and college Republicans, and it was really productive, and there was um, common ground that was met, and that's what needs to happen now. Um, Let's talk about the news of the day, and then we'll get to that interview with the NYU professor. So um, yesterday we told you about uh, Michael Flynn. You heard in the introduction— Uh, Trump backing him up, saying it's a shame of what happened, that it was, um, you know, they were out to get him. And listen, he knows the end goal is to impeach President Trump. This is what the Democrats want. And they are obstructing and they are keeping the bureaucrats in Washington. While Trump says drain the swamp, they are afraid for the jobs. And they are obstructing because they want the Obama leftovers to hurt The Trump presidency, when he is working at the speed of light and is trying to get things done, this is government for you. And, you know, I just hope that we can come to some sort of togetherness again. I mean, seriously. It has gotten to a point. Where, you know, yeah, both sides that say they want to come together, but that never happened. There was deep division in this country, and it's sad. And I actually feel bad for the president because he's in a situation where he's taking a salary. He—I don't know if he knew what he was getting into, but he knew that he wanted to do something to support, to help the country because he saw going in this negative direction. And they are doing everything in their power to stop progress. They are the ones, the establishment versus the outsider continues, okay? Now, I just want to tell you about Michael Flynn because January 23rd, this was reported in the Washington Post, The FBI in late December reviewed the intercepts of communications between the Russian ambassador to the United States and retired Lieutenant General Michael T. Flint, National Security Advisor, to then-President-elect Trump, but has not found any evidence of wrongdoing on illicit ties to the Russian government, U.S. officials said. Okay, that was back in January. No ties to Russia. All he did was was try to get a leg up on his job, and he had to be the fall guy. And you know, we talk about fake news later on. We talked yesterday about that uh, New York Times where they quoted the wrong Twitter account. It's um, you know, there's a there is a lot of misinformation out there, and really, you know, people believe what they want to hear, on both sides, but there is uh, a total uh, information overload and war on information where we're only getting the headline news. We are not getting the important news. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, you know, you're just getting, oh my god, Russia hacked the election. That's not true. i talk about this later on with the NYU professor. Because I have a lot to say about that and and why it's important that we have to tell the facts. Well, Donald Trump lies. Prove it, okay? You wanna you want to go into that? We can't. President Trump has been right pretty much every step of the way so far. Look at the situation in the Middle East. Look at what they are doing to obstruct his cabinet positions. Look at ISIS. Look at the economy. There's a lot of optimism with his policies. And look at everything he said. Look at what's happening. Look at the drugs that are coming in. Um, there was actually, uh, you know, you want to talk about um, immigration? Okay, let's do things by the law. There was a quote, dreamer, you know, the, the dreamers who... Uh, um, the Obama-era program that defers deportation for thousands of young illegal immigrants, known as DREAMers. or are called DREAMers. U.S. authorities detained him. He's a Mexican immigrant protected by this DREAMers program. His name is Daniel Ramirez Medina, 23 years old. What you won't hear anywhere because I had to do a little digging to find out about this case. This person, Daniel Ramirez A DACA recipient is a gang member. Yeah. A self, a quote, self-admitted gang member and a risk to public safety. And he was told that he'd be arrested, detained, and deported despite his DACA status. He's a gang member and he's in our country. Okay, okay. There needs to be a system. We need to know who is in here. And the gangs in the inner cities are a problem. And what do they do? They end up, you know, I'm going to use the word indoctrination again. They end up indoctrinating these young kids who think that they have no better future than to get involved in gang violence and get involved in uh, this rampant epidemic of drugs, gangs, and crime. And we need to protect our kids in this country. And we need to put our people first. And it's—I mean, this was what the entire election was about. Now let's talk about these intelligence leaks. I talked about them yesterday. I went through the list, starting up over the summer, and um, the leaks with uh, with Flint and how it shows. There's a major strain between the White House and the intelligence community. Well, there's another leak today. Uh, It was leaked to CNN that the Pentagon um, considers, the Pentagon is considering uh, sending troops to Syria. Now, President Trump has said repeatedly that any military action he considers or takes, he's not going to say what he's going to do. Because it's like if—it's like—I'll give you a, a sports example. Sports analogies always work the best. It's like if Bill Belichick, at halftime of that Super Bowl, said, Oh, yeah, well, you know, we're going to put the ball in Brady's hands, and we're going to trust in him, and we're going to pass every play, and um, we're going to probably try to do a little trickery. I mean, imagine if he said that and give his game plan away. So why the hell would Trump say— um, yeah, we're going to put troops in Syria and um, we need to expedite um, the war against ISIS. If he does it, we shouldn't know about it till it happens because now Syria knows. Great. Remember the red line with Syria? When President Obama said, if you cross this line, if you use weapons against your own people, that's it. Nothing crickets, nothing. All of these leaks are illegal. And the Trump administration should do everything in in its power through the law to investigate and find out who is leaking this information because it puts our national security at risk. We talked about the Hillary Clinton server putting our information at risk. By leaking this to the media... Our military plans, when there's a reason why they are concealed, for our own protection and leaking discussions with foreign leaders, that has consequences. And here, that's not even the media's fault. That's somebody in the intelligence community that's probably a bureaucrat left over from the Obama administration is leaking this and harming Trump and and doing this on purpose. And it's probably a group of people. Um, a Russian spy ship spotted now today. It was off the coast of Delaware yesterday. There was a Russian spy ship off the coast, 15 miles off the coast of Connecticut, and also off of Montauk in Long Island. Uh, the warship Victor Le- uh, Leonov. I don't speak Russian. Um, spot off the coast of Long Island's coast Wednesday morning, according to Pentagon officials who noted the ship was in international waters, consistent with international law. So they're right off the coast of Long Island, New York, and Connecticut, thirty miles south of Groton, Connecticut, which is home to a U.S. naval submarine base. And this uh, ship was in the vicinity of Montauk, which, if you don't know, is at the very tip of Long Island in New York. Pentagon officials are aware of the vessel's presence but do not respond to follow-up. It has not entered U.S. territorial waters. What this is is a test to President Trump. What is he going to do to react? He'll probably get Putin right on the phone. And so what the hell are you doing? And... His reaction is going to speak volumes and is going to set the tone for the four years that he has in office, possibly eight. Uh, Big news today, General James Mattis at NATO in Brussels, the U.S. Defense Secretary, issued an ultimatum to NATO saying that unless their allies start increasing their defense spending— they will moderate its commitment to them. And this is what Trump has said, that, hey, they're not paying their fair share, and unless they start spending money to defeat radical Islamic terrorism and other terrorist groups, why are we why are we funding NATO if they're not going to help us? They're supposed to be a coalition. Um, Mattis said, quote, No longer can the American taxpayer carry a disproportionate share of the defense of Western values. Americans cannot care more for your children's future security than you do. And he uh, cited the 2014 annexation of Ukraine's Crimea region and the Islamic group's holdover parts of Iraq and Syria and said that some in the alliance have looked away in denial of what is happening. And you know what? Germany said, yeah, right, we'll pay up. (laughs) All you had to do was ask. All you had to do was say, listen, you're going to pay up. Germany spent 1.19%, 1.19% of its overall budget on defense. The United States spent 3.61% of American GDP last year. And then you have Canada, Italy, Spain, all behind them paying pretty much nothing compared to us. Either support us. Or why are we funding an organization that is highly bureaucratic and is, you know, has a mission, and NATO is important, and they reaffirmed their commitment to NATO, but if you're not going to help us in the fight against terrorism, how good are you? What's your use? I remember we talked about the military readiness yesterday. Um, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, actually a good friend of Donald Trump's, they've been friends for decades, They met today in a very promising meeting because Israel... Let me explain something to you. Israel is our number one ally in the Middle East. In the midst of all of this terror craziness of Syria and Iran, Israel is the lone democratic nation in this mess. Palestine contains the terror group Hamas. And... They don't recognize Israel. In fact, they literally do not recognize Israel as being in existence. And they reward Palestinians for killing Israelis. The government pays them to kill Israelis. I mean, they are calling for Israel's destruction. And then Yahoo said, we need the United States' help here. Now... Trump said, I'll sit down at the negotiating table, um, but it's going to be whatever you two decide. And there needs to be, as Trump said today, and then Yahoo was pleased with, is that there needs to be a recognition that Israel exists from Palestine. Because that country, with a lot of history, is a democratic state that is peaceful, unlike the terror nations. Uh, troubles are criticized the Iran deal, saying, I will do more to prevent Iran from ever developing, I mean ever, a nuclear weapon. Um, Netanyahu is confident that under Trump's leadership, we can reverse the rising tide of radical Islam. Israel stands with you, Netanyahu said, and I stand with you. And Trump said, you're going to see a lot of love in this partnership. Now, he was asked about the West Bank settlements. Israel has been um, expanding into Palestine's resentment. Um, Trump said, I'd like you to hold back a little bit. Uh, he said, we're going to negotiate a deal. We're going to have a peace deal of some sort. And honestly, it could be a very revolutionary deal and a very important one in that because it is our biggest ally in the Middle East in all of that terror. And so Netanyahu understood that we're going to negotiate – You heard it in the intro. That's the art of the deal. And, uh, yeah, Netanyahu and Trump have been friends for years. That could definitely help foster this critical relationship. Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, is playing a key White House role in negotiating with Israel. You know, Ivanka Trump actually converted to the Jewish religion when she married Kushner. And, by the way, the first lady was there, Melania Trump, um, was at the White House today. And she was with Netanyahu's wife. Um, And then, you know, the Lieutenant General Michael Flynn came up and you heard he said these are illegal leaks. So that's the news that you need to know today on this Wednesday going into Thursday. Always a busy news cycle. Really always is. We're going to take a break. When we come back, our exclusive, you cannot miss this. I cannot stress this enough, indoctrination on college campuses Sweeping and it has actually swept the nation. What are what is going on in your schools? When you think your kids are in class, what are they actually doing? You hear from an NYU professor who slams this political correctness on college campuses, and we get into all of that with Michael Rechtenwald of New York University when we come back on the Neil A. Cruiser show podcast on Wednesday.
0: We are never gonna let you
1: down. And neither will Nile Crusoe. with you every day on the Neele Crusoe
0: Show podcast and Sundays at noon Eastern on the Nile Crusoe Show. On Nele He's the real deal. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. Indoor baseball, anyone? <laughs> Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. A ranger station.
1: I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me.
0: So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, B's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update! I'm gonna let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at smokybear.com.
1: Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. <laughs>
0: The knack for it, the knack for America.
1: One definition of education is an enlightening experience. Education is supposed to prepare students for an occupation and the real world outside. Its foundation is an exchange of ideas and wholesome debates among people of all backgrounds and all political ideologies. But that goal. Is not being met. Riots purported by anarchists take over college campuses with students and professors partaking, stifling free speech
0: by people of opposing more middle to conservative views. When they start infringing upon my rights to speak and the rights of others to speak, when they start infringing upon inquiry and and expression, this is very very chilling and very problematic use one of their favorite words someone who i've worked with in the past professionally no longer do in years previous
1: uh did nothing to praise my abilities at my job and now uh you know upon hearing that i voted for trump um all of a sudden i'm a bad person i'm a racist and uh, i'm all all of a sudden no longer capable of fulfilling my duties uh my professional career. That we really should be showing both points of view and try to
0: you know, go at it with a balanced approach much, as much as possible. It's not just my school, it's across, it's across the country. You know, you get these high school kids, the Pledge of Allegiance comes out in the morning, they, they sit in their seats. You know, they don't even stand. And, and they, to me, that's a level of disrespect to the flag in the country. Uh, but going back to what we were talking about, being politically correct, you know, you kind of can't really talk about it. You can't make them stand. You just got to leave it alone.
1: Now, joining us is New York University professor of liberal studies, Michael Rechtenwald. He has uh, an interesting history. We had him on the Sunday show this past Sunday, and he's launched a crusade against political correctness and student coddling on campus. NYU suspended him back in October, but they said it was unrelated to his political beliefs, and he joins us on the podcast today, and, you know, there's a lot of indoctrination on college campuses, and we'll talk about all of that, Um, and certainly from my perspective as a conservative, you consider yourself a libertarian, um, there is a lot of um, uh, political bias, and if you have different beliefs, you're not accepted, so I appreciate you coming on to share your story, and we'll get into um, your background first, so thanks again.
0: Sure, Neil. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: It's my pleasure. Um, let's talk about your story because, uh, again, it's remarkable, and you shared it on the Sunday show, but let's talk about it again. Um, you called it
0: uh, authoritarianism on college campuses. Um, yes. Explain uh, what I, I happened. For, yeah, I can give you the, the brief history of how my case came about and uh, sort of the outcome of it and where I stand right now. Um, back in October, uh, I created— an anonymous Twitter account called the anti-PC NYU prof. That's the handle. Right. Uh, I also called it, uh, you know, where you have the name, it was the deployable uh, NYU prof, which I thought would be very unusual and gather a lot of uh, attention in the fact that I just wanted an audience to air some views about uh, PC authoritarianism on campus. Um, I had uh, some brushes with things at nyu they instituted a bias response line this year i found that very alarming uh, they also issued warnings to students uh pre like a month before halloween uh, warning them about offensive costumes and advising them to surveil upon themselves uh for lack of a better word really to self-surveil on their online activity so that they didn't uh, get any uh, nefarious ideas for costumes online. Okay. Uh, So things like that, and then I made some tweets. An NYU reporter from the Washington Square News saw the tweets. That's the school paper, right? What's that? That's the school paper the Washington Square News. school newspaper, right. And uh, the... Uh, the author, uh, reporter wanted to interview me. I said, sure, I'd do an interview. I wasn't sure I would go uh, with my name or stay anonymous. After the interview, I decided that what I had said needed to be said and that I had no, had said nothing objectionable. I merely critiqued uh, a particular ideology, which I term social justice warrior or SJW ideology, NPC authoritarianism. Ther- ter- on campus mm-hmm. in particular three three mechanisms that have been instituted in universities the bias response lines or bias response teams BRTs as they're known as uh the safe spaces and trigger warnings right um and uh they i gave that interview basically merely critiquing these this ideology and these mechanisms Never, you know, so much as making a statement about any individuals, any groups, any uh, religions, religious groups, Mm. uh, uh, racial groups. But they basically called you a bigot. Uh, Basically, after that, uh, the, I was, uh, after that interview appeared, two days later, uh, a committee, an official committee from my program calling themselves the uh, diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Working Group mm-hmm. issued a open email in response, and basically they denounced me as incivil and illogic. I bear I dare them to find a single logical fallacy in anything I said. I taught logic at eight, age nineteen in college, mm-hmm. uh, and I uh, as for incivility, well. Why aren't they standing up and screaming about the trigly professor at NYU, so-called professor at NYU screaming at police and MFing them uh, up and down the street for 20 minutes? I don't see any denunciations of that. I said right. enough in civil. I was merely making statements that they didn't like. So because they didn't like these statements, they condemned me the same day as their uh, op-ed appeared, open letter appeared in that in the Washington square news. I was also summoned to the office of my Dean by email saying he just wanted to see me for a couple minutes. I Mm -hmm. said, sure. I thought for sure. I knew what it was about. And for, uh, most likely I thought about the, um, the, uh, interview and of course my, uh, the op-ed and my Twitter account. But when I got into the office, he immediately said to me, uh, real, came real close to me and said, this has nothing to do with your Twitter account. Um, and uh, this has nothing to do with uh, your op, you know, your your interview or anything like right, that. Right, but Just- he
1: suspended you for the rest of the semester. For yeah, you on- don't
0: know the reason, do you? Yeah, I mean, they had a, a human resources person waiting there as well. And I was let's put it this way: I was strongly encouraged to take a leave of absence, although they say it was purely voluntary. Whenever two authority figures are encouraging you to do yeah. something. And they're your employers. Uh, it seems to me to be wise to actually, uh, to actually, you know, take their advice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, well, especially when you know they have your uh,
1: employment in uh, in their hands, and you're back now as a full-time professor, correct?
0: Yes. So this open I letter like, uh, during the interim, uh, you know, there's all kind of press cover coverage of this, right? Right. Uh, and uh, during the interim, I. And it was written up uh, all over the place, and also uh, I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post. It it got national attention. I appeared on Fox News, Business News, and you know, all over the place. Uh, but in the interim, I also got a uh, a um, promotion and a raise because I was up for that. Uh, I had applied in the previous April, and uh, I got that raise and promotion two day a day before the election. I think it was okay. People surmised that it may be they were nervous and they gave it to me to uh, avoid bad press. But really, not, that wasn't the case. Um, I, that was uh, something that had been in the works for a while. However, if they hadn't given it to me, it would have been a clear case of discrimination.
1: Right, and they knew that you would speak out about it. Um, again, NYU professor Michael Rechtenwald on the program. And so this open letter that was written about you after you did an interview with Washington Square News – and came out as yourself, saying that yeah, these safe spaces, these trigger warnings, with these college students, the coddling that is going on—that they're not being prepared for the real world, and you know the real world is uh, pretty nasty, and they better get prepared for it. Um, well, I
0: mean, I do—I do, do want to uh, let me ahead. just intervene a little bit. There is uh, my critique is not so much about coddling as it is about the kind of uh, a policing that go, is going on vis-a-vis these mechanisms. Okay. This bias response line uh, is, which is they're asking people to post on their syllabi, is a, is a uh, line item that's asking students or anyone in the room to report on any microaggressions that might take place in the classroom during the semester mm-hmm. or anywhere else around the, the, uh, the environments of the university. So my argument is: this turns the entire university into a, a what I call, you know, a panopticon, which is an all-seeing structure, and each person becomes a, a kind of sentinel of surveillance, uh, and they become sort of like you know reporting agents on each other. And this is, I, I argue, this is a very unhealthy uh, uh, and very very problematic uh, construction for. Uh, academic discourse and free, free, you know, the uh, exercise of academic freedom by students and faculty. Sure. It, it, because you, it, it puts you on defensive. You don't know what might be construed as a microaggression. Well, that's, are no that's a ridiculous part. On any website at NYU, what a microaggression is or what a bias yeah. infraction might consist of. So the whole thing is very nebulous, and it leaves it almost. Completely on uh, to the interpretation of this biased response team, who who deliberate without any transparency, apparently whatsoever, to make their to make their uh, to, to deliver their verdicts on uh, people's supposed m- infractions. It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, and this goes on. I mean, listen, I can tell you because I'm going to give you an example in a little bit of something that I had to sit through today for two hours. Okay, And I was pretty much called every name in the book because I – and I'm open about it. I support President Trump. You do not, which is the ironic part. It's not like you – and if you did, it's no big deal. It's free speech. Yeah. You have freedom of right. expression. But right. what they do on these college campuses is that if you have a – diversity is welcome unless you have a diverse opinion and um, – even mm-hmm. legislatures have talked about this. African American legislators like um, Tim Scott, who came out and and said that um, as a uh, black conservative, he is not welcome by Democrats right.
0: um, because right. he has a differing opinion. Now, right. I want to get well, so let me just say something sure, that. Sure, go to that. The, as I said, that committee called itself or calls itself the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. And in my response to them, I finally did issue a direct response. In the Washington Square News, a reply okay. on February 3rd, in which I said that this was a strange Orwellian misnomer for this committee, and they should call themselves the Uniformity, uh, Inequity, and Exclusion Committee. Hmm. That is, uniformity to a prescribed ideology, uh, inequity for anyone who doesn't hold it, and exclusion for the, from the university for anyone who has the temerity to speak their minds.
1: Yeah, uh, I
0: completely agree with you. And so I'm
1: looking at this open letter and I want to touch on microaggressions in a second, but just to point out, this open letter was written by two administrators. You mm-hmm. have a number Indeed. you have a number of professors and you right. have students who wrote this about you. And um, they call you uh, guilty of illogic and incivility, as you brought up. They also say the cause of your guilt is the con- uh, is the content and structure
0: of your thinking. You know, this really, really, really roils me, uh, Neil, because let me just say something. These people haven't got a shred of academic credentials to criticize me. I published four books in the last year. They can't touch me together collectively they don't have the academic credentials that i do and yet they have the nerve to say that about me well forget forget that nope they shut you up for free speech yes and they also shut me up their attempt to shut me up then they said i gaslighted them which is a clear misuse of language okay i didn't gaslight gaslighting means trying to drive someone crazy by presenting a false reality as real how on earth is a statement of opinion gaslighting. See, but see what I found out, I'm doing a very little research, these are just memes, plug-and-play phrases that the, that the SJW left uses on everybody. They don't have thoughts. They don't have original ideas. They don't have expressions of, fr- uh, of language that's at all varied. It's just plug-and-play, uh, these kind of plug-and-play Lego-like uh, constructions That they use, like that letter, the whole thing. You could find all those phrases on the web and just paste them together. It's a joke. They don't think, and they're saying, "I don't think that there's something wrong with the structure of my thought." Here's what's wrong with the structure of their thought. It isn't thought.
1: No, I (laughs) mean the the ironic part is about the political left. What I see is that, well, I mean sometimes people are just they consider themselves uh, a Democrat by default or a liberal Mm -hmm. by default. But they um, they really haven't done much thinking about it. Or now, if they have these views, they don't let you have your own, and there's no debate. They just they will not have a debate, and you're just
0: automatically a bigot, which um, the, the happened today. Thing to me. about this also, Neil, is Go this ahead. is this that they they are pack animals. Okay, in other words, they can't stand up to you as a person and an individual and critique what you're saying. So they hoard together and attack you like a pack. <laughs> It's what they're they're, doing to Trump right now. What's that? It's it's, it's what they're doing to Trump. Yeah, they're pack herd or slash herd animals. Okay, then when you actually see them face to face, they're so pusillanimous that they can't look you in the eye. So my understanding now of uh, SJWs is that they are cowards at base, utter cowards. Let me get to these microaggressions
1: because I don't think a lot of people know what they are, but... Nobody they, does. They're, no, nobody... They, well, they don't exist. Because they're... I know. Well, these so-called microaggressions that are right. insane and are rampant on college campuses, they prevent you from just being yourself or you even mean having... You accusation just, of
0: microaggressions. Just saying
1: words, yeah. So one of them that I saw is like one of the most common ones now is if you say, I like your shoes... Apparently, that is an insult because you were taking away from someone's intellect and pointing out a superficiality. I mean, seriously, the insanity of this, that you can't compliment someone or say you have nice hair or any of this crap. I yeah. mean, what, what what are you seeing at NYU, which obviously – and every university is like this, but NYU, especially in New York City, is a very liberal school, and mm-hmm. you're probably one of the only um, libertarian or someone with –
0: more uh, right-leaning views. Well, I'm anti-authoritarian. I, right. That's what I mean by libertarian is anti-authoritarian. And these people are Stalinists. Okay, I mean they're soft Stalinists, but they are, they are, they are totalitarian wannabes. You know, they want. They're very authoritarian. They want to control everyone's language. They want to control everyone's thinking. And if you, you know, they want to. They want to control everything about people. Uh, including their f- expression, uh, their thought patterns. As I said, my thinking patterns or structure of my thought was I was guilty for the structure of my thought. Just let that sink in yeah. a second. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they're authoritarian, wannabe totalitarians, I call them, you know, who expect people to undergo a kind of Maoist-like autocritique, which was a, a technique that Mao... Um, put in place during the Cultural Revolution in which those who were not, uh, you know, of the right ideological, uh, con- you know, um, predilection would, would you know, basically tear themselves apart in front of the group or else they'd be torn apart in front of the group. This is exactly what the SJWs do. They're they're ought to the T, like Maoists.
1: So NYU professor Michael Rechtenwald on the podcast today, um, what is... An average day like at NYU in terms of the classroom, these students, because, uh, you know, we can talk about the radical left and how um, insane they are, um, mm-hmm. but that's yeah. not really going to uh, no, solve uh, uh, anything um, just by doing I, that. But what is, what's an average day like? What, what are these students thinking? You teach them.
0: Yeah, I mean, what it is is I should say that my students generally are wonderful. OK, I love my students. Uh, the The younger they are, the the lower their their grade, so to speak, you know, freshman sophomore, the less likely they are to have been indoctrinated into this nonsense to be inculcated with this and become you know inured to reason and thought. So you know, I have really bright students, very engaging. Uh, i I teach them in very you know challenging ways. i I involve students in I, I am not about indoctrination. My classes are exercises in rigorous thinking, and from various analytical perspectives, I ask students to consider issues from numerous disciplinary and critical perspectives. And I I absolutely abjure and avoid indoctrination like the plague because indoctrination is not what education is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I am not there to make good liberals. I am not there to make good leftists. I am not there to make good Marxists. I'm not there to make good feminists. I am not there to make good any kind of person. I am there to make good thinkers. And that means engaging critically with ideas of all types. And I don't, you know, I make sure that my syllabi are, you know, that they represent various types of thinking, you know, and they don't lead students like many many professors I know. Their syllabi are arranged teleologically, in which they're basically leading the student to a particular conclusion. I don't do that. I think that's criminal, frankly. I think it's criminal yep. to to indoctrinate students. They're paying a lot of money. They're there for a very brief time. It is one of the, it's it potentially one of the best times in their lives. To indoctrinate them during that and for that price and everything else is utterly a crime. I completely
1: agree with you, and I've seen it not just on the college level, but I've seen it and heard about it in high school and in lower – in grade school where they're told, for instance, in this election – you know, as a young female, like an eighth grader, as a young female, you have an obligation to vote for Hillary Clinton because of she's a woman, and that's really their entire argument this past election. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into the the election again because it's over, and yeah. um we well, have they, a president.
0: Well, be, yeah, but not for a lot of people. <laughs> well, they need to get over it. Yeah, well, they're apparently they're not now. They're calling for you know impeachment. So, but we'll get to that. Yeah,
1: yeah no, no, I I actually have that on my list to bring up, but. I want to get into that later where I'll, I'll give you a personal example, and we're talking to NYU professor um, Michael Rechtenwald. Um, the uh, the protesting at the Milo Yiannopoulos events, and you were there. Um, you, you mean
0: the uh, Gavin McInnes. Uh,
1: excuse uh, me, the Gavin McInnes. Milo was uh, UC Berkeley. Gavin McInnes, thanks for um, correcting me. Gavin, who um, was there to speak with the um, college Republicans, um, yeah. and there were – you brought up the – professor or alleged professor, she yelled she's a professor and yeah. basically cursed out the police and said you're protecting a Nazi. Um you yeah. were called a Nazi that night too. Yeah,
0: Which right.
1: like to call someone that, I mean, that is so um wrong on so many levels. I mean, did they study World War ii That's an insult well, that's- to to everyone
0: who died in the Holocaust. Yeah, let me say that. That's that's the key thing I want to get across. The way that this trivializes what happened during World War II surrounding not only, you know, the, the people that died in war, but the Holocaust is despicable. And that these people sling around these epithets with absolute casual casualness and nonchalance and with the most firm alacrity and also, uh, uh, con, uh, you know, utter utterly convinced that they're right is unbelievable. And in my case, to be... I was being interviewed by the Washington Square News after the aborted Gavin McGinnis talk, mm-hmm. uh, during which these protesters let him get about three minutes in edgewise and then, you know, chanted for the rest of the time, at, you know, yelling at the top of their lungs. It was outrageous. And the
1: language and, you know, they claim to be so uh, tolerant they're the tolerant party. They're not. They're not tolerant uh, of uh, views. Uh, they,
0: they, they, these are illiberals. Yep. Well, let's get this straight they are ill liberals and I call them the illiberal left this is what they are well they're anarchists
1: you know they're throwing well, they're rocks anti, at police they're
0: they're, anti, they're, they're totalitarian they're anti Liberty this is the basic bottom line right I mean, for them so actually I was being interviewed after the Gavin McGinnis event you know and I, I'll you know, I could describe the, how things went uh, before that later but uh, I was just, you know, the N, uh, NYU uh, the Washington Square News wanted to hear my reaction to what just happened, and I was talking about it. And this uh, protester, uh, I won't say anything else about him, uh, started calling me a Nazi repeatedly. You're a Nazi. You're a Nazi. You're a Nazi. I said, listen, Ben, my father died, went to war, didn't die. He fought in World War II, was paratrooper who paratrooped behind enemy lines and broke both of his legs risking his life dare you call me a nazi again you know because i mean i was furious at that point uh and uh, i don't blame you and Mm? i don't
1: blame you the lack of respect and and understanding from a party that preaches inclusion um,
0: is uh, hypocrisy uh, on all levels, and yeah, their 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 thing is doublespeak, you know. Yeah, of uh, course, it's all Orwellian. Everything they say is its antonym. Inclusion is exclusion. Mm-hmm. Diversity is uniformity, and so on and so forth.
1: So that's another thing. Diversity got brought up, I think, in that interview, and um, I guess you had made some comments on Twitter that. You know there are some extra efforts, and I'm not going to speak for you. You explain your own words, but something to the effect of that they're they're going above and beyond um, diversity, <laughs> that they're hiring people just on the basis of their nationality. I mean, you know, look Dale, at Elizabeth Warren who claims hold, to be a I Native American,
0: right? I have to hold these cards close to my chest right now. I, I, I you can't go there. This is because this is something I want to keep uh, for to. I don't want to play these cards right now in case I need this for information later right that's all, all right. I, that's all i'm gonna say all right i have it but let me just characterize it for sure. you. sure outrageous identity politics mm-hmm. uh utterly and completely uh just you know uh, eroding academic integrity uh, that's all i'm gonna say it's unbelievable it's not just a little preference here and there no it's completely eroding academic integrity and i have Examples that are so egregious you just would make your head spin, but I can't I can't use them right now. Okay,
1: uh, NYU professor Michael Rechtenwald um, Professors in your department. Do you have reason to believe that they are indoctrinating pushing their views on on students at NYU?
0: Yes, I do and the only reason I have there to, The reason I have to believe it is the way they are treating me which is to shun me like I'm some sort of a diseased animal uh, it's unbelievable, like I'm a leper or something. Um, all I did is express views at variance with their own, apparently. And they have, uh, they basically are completely shunning me. It's like they won't look at me. They walk away from me. They, I'm not that I really want to talk to them, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. I've show, they've shown their colors and um, I have really little interest. I have a much broader audience now and uh, my reputation doesn't. Is not at all limited by my departmental, uh, you know, whatever happens within this very small universe in which they spin, and and their lives will be lived in their limited way. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I have every reason to believe it, and from what I hear from other students, yeah, that's what's going on. Um, they're using the classroom as a way to talk about strictly about identity issues and identity politics. Uh, there's there's some. Uh, Listen to this. Workshops being offered teaching the election. Um, of course, we know what this means. It's really about how how to cope with the, be- the big bad meanies who have been put
1: in office. I mean, who- this is why Trump was elected. They're so stupid, okay? And, you know, they're still crying over the election. Um, listen, President Trump
0: was inaugurated a month ago. He's not going uh, away. Um, well— I mean, they what they're trying to do is this this idea of teaching the election is not about really uh, understanding what happened and why. It's really about saying it's a it's another form of nurse uh, nursing wounds. Right. Right. Uh, you know, and as I said in, in my op ed and other places that, you know, they're turning the university into a kind of infirmary or hospital. Well, they offer counseling. Everything is a hospitalization situation which everyone is wounded and our job is to, you know, to basically be triage nurses. And, you know, I mean, this is really what's going Yeah, on. no, aren't they? I mean, they're offering – so across the country, and I'm sure
1: it's going on at NYU, where they're actually offering counseling to people who feel personally affected by the election. And the you know, presidents of universities are sending out they, letters, you know, had, saying they, they, we're going to – go ahead.
0: You know, they had safe spaces in which students were provided crayons, coloring books, uh, therapy pets. Yeah, Play-Doh, for God's sake. And, in some cases, pacifiers, okay? They actually had pacifiers. And, of course, coupled with the safety pin iconography, nothing comes to mind more than a diaper. So what we're looking at is pediatric units, in effect, being established in these
1: I mean, yeah. how are they going to function in the world? These are people no, who are in the future?
0: Even that is not you – know, I agree. That's a concern down the road. How are they going to function in the world? I'd like to make the world more hospitable, but one of the things I also would like to suggest is that what they're creating is a kind of cultural and intellectual containment that is, as Ralph Ellison put it, when 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 people tried to do this to him to tell him he was a black writer in the Harlem Renaissance he wrote Invisible Man, he was told by Irving Howe he wasn't acting like a you know like a black writer he wasn't being angry enough he wasn't and his influences were all wrong his influences were white, almost all white in fact that was bad that was bad for him he should not have white authors as his influences the guy said. Uh, Ralph Ellison said in response what you're doing to me is worse than Jim Crow South. You're trying to put me in a in a jug and put on a and put a cork on it so that I can't get out. You're it's a cultural containment and impoverishment of the worst kind. This is what's going on in the campuses. Now what what this will lead to down the road this coddled generation of you know I I've said it I put it rather harshly that the millennial SJWs will leave nothing behind, these snowflakes will leave nothing be- behind but a puddle of tears. Uh.
1: <laughs> well, they're not going to be able to function in the real world. They'll amount to nothing. I mean, now, the, these are not all college students, but a majority of them are being swept up in this indoctrinated beliefs, and mm-hmm. they never leave the educational system. They just mm-hmm. kind of get their, their growth actually gets stunted. In college Mm -hmm. or in high school for that matter, and they never grow up. I mean, people – parents used to be concerned about drugs and alcohol and sex when kids go away to college. Now, frankly, if I'm a parent parent today, I'm concerned about sending my kid away to college and coming back brainwashed and have no job (laughs) and be living living in my basement.
0: That's the biggest danger. That is absolutely the biggest danger is them to come back with blue hair, tattoos all over them, and also – Worse than that, those are only you know external signs of an internal derangement that has taken place. Right, uh, the inculcation of an SJW ideology to the exclusion of other possibilities and considerations, such that they become more or less like zombies, if you will. It's the zombification, in effect, because it's 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 a wholesale inculcation and of this kind of pablum that's just sucked down, right. They don't even consider other possibilities. Like, you know, there's a vast store of thinking that challenges this stuff from many different, you know, perspectives. And they get none of that. They get none of it. NYU professor Michael Rechtenwald on the Neil A. Cruz
1: Show podcast today. Um, we did reach out to the NYU Democrats. Um, we got in touch with the president. Uh, he didn't make himself available uh, for Sunday's show, and um, he suggested that he would get the vice president. Um, but we never heard back from him again, so perhaps he checked out uh, my page and, and saw that, well, I have a different point of view, um, and I like to challenge
0: things, and
1: so he wasn't up for the task of don't, don't coming forget, on for an interview. A, you know,
0: probably they have, you know, uh, it's, you're asking them outside of, to go outside of the safe space of intellectual uh, comfort zones, you know? I mean, you Well, I guess Facebook is that safe
1: space, because they wrote on Facebook that the uh, NYU Republicans are bigots and racists for inviting Gavin McInnes onto the um, onto the campus.
0: They wrote that. Is that what yes, they said? That's on Facebook. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, I mean that's really that's a shame. Um, I don't I don't agree. It's I, so I high minded of them. I, I mean I don't understand. You know, here's the thing about what Gavin McGill I don't have. I'm not saying I endorse what his views right. are or anything like that. But he's
1: allowed to have his views. He's allowed he's, to
0: have free speech. They pay to right. have him there. I think he's more or less an anti-PC comic. You know? Yeah, I mean he's not like an intellectual powerhouse who's going to, you know, like create indoctrination of students or create an army of like Nazis. Or he's not even, you know, a Nazi. I just, I just don't get it. I, I don't understand what they think is going to happen if yeah, they really are. If they really think his ideas are bad. Why don't they listen to them? Let him express them, and then debate the guy. Yeah, Instead, I mean, they just see, that's what education the, the entire time. I agree with you. Education's supposed to be
1: about wholesome debate, but you know, I'll give you. Let me give you this example, and then I'll just talk about protest, and then I'll, I'll talk more about um, about an indoctrination for two hours today that I had to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. Let me give you this example in a classroom. A professor actually goes starts talking about um, propaganda. Um, in terms of PR and mm-hmm. um, a picture of um, Nazi Germany is on the board so I know where this is going
0: um, yeah. I'm not stupid I can read rebu- this is the, the only form of propaganda that's ever existed okay yeah right
1: so anyway that's the lesson is that NYU um, not NYU uh, excuse me uh, that Nazi Germany used propaganda to the best of their ability which they did when you explain you know what their goal was trying to do and try to um, try to indoctrinate their views on people Mm
0: -hmm. yeah
1: so i get that but he ties it into trump okay and he basically goes over the line there and says you know this is um what uh kellyanne conway and sean spicer are doing and then um yeah so this is this is what they're doing when they use quote alternative facts which was a slip of the tongue she didn't mean it that way but of course They're going to pounce on that. But anyway, she goes – he goes on to this uh, this rampage about this. Then he says, well, you know, um, I'll never compare a president. I don't think it's appropriate to call a president, including um, Trump that I don't like, um, a, a Nazi. I would never compare them. And then he continues again. So it's like they, they mm-hmm. go up to the line, they retract, they go back. Yeah, and right, they, right. It's, it's a it's
0: pure – that is propaganda in itself. I agree. And they try so to have this humor, but it, it doesn't work. Yeah, they're trying to suggest and make every possible association while having the uh, plausible deniability at the same time. And the, you know, But do they ever consider the other types of uh, indoctrinating uh, activities that have gone on in other states like the USSR? Mm-hmm. Like China, like North Korea, um, today that they never pick. Here's North Korea, an actual, actually existing totalitarian regime that's utterly, you know, has its whole citizenry isolated from the rest of the world and other types of thinking. Completely, it's like a an indoctrination tube. Mm-hmm. They can't get out of right. Well, how and, about that, this? Is never brought up as an example. Why? No,
1: and we want to talk about, you want to talk about, um, you know, outrage over what they call a Muslim ban, even though it's not a Muslim ban or wasn't an executive order to ban all Muslims, clearly. But, you know, they use that as an example. Well, okay, let's talk about Sharia law and the fact that they um, they persecute anyone that doesn't. Conform to their ideology that women are not allowed to walk out of the house without yeah. a male supervision. That women are not allowed to drive. They're not allowed to have a life unless a man accompan- uh, accompanies them. That homosexuals are thrown have, up buildings. If they
0: commit adultery. Supposedly,
1: they're stoned to death. They're stoned to death. Correct. That goes on Saudi Arabia, um, the UAE, Iran, um, all countries, right. by the way, that uh, donated uh, to the Clinton
0: Foundation. But, but uh, the you know, left I digress. Kill your love affair with uh, with this. And, you know, Sharia law is their dirty little secret. I don't know what the hell they have. Why Sharia law is like a phrase they cannot utter. And they anybody who does utter it is an Islamophobic person. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, isn't that a No, These are funny. (laughs) This is the left that's supposedly about women's rights. And yet they actually coddle and protect. They should be condemning it. Some of the worst regimes in the world, in fact, including Saudi Arabia, from which Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. and the you know, Clinton Foundation received millions, millions of dollars. And gave State Department access. Right. So okay. this but we're talking about General
1: Flynn you know, trying to get a leg up on his job.
0: These people are so rife
1: with contradictions, it's unbelievable. Um, it's unbelievable. Let me ask you, NYU Professor Michael Recton while in the program, and seriously, thank you so much for taking the time, because this no, is... my pleasure, Now, th- These are conversations that, unless they are discussed, they're going to exist forever. And unless someone has, you know, the gall to go out there and talk about the indoctrination, um, this is going to go on, and our kids are going to suffer for it. Yes. Um, so I appreciate
0: what you're doing to, uh, to talk about I'm, this. I'm fighting, uh, you know, they're basically four professors uh, that have been basically identified on this front uh, myself jordan peterson gadsat and there's one other guy who's Saltzman. Uh, and we're like the f- four horses of the apocalypse if you will mm-hmm. and against us we have uh you know we there's a myriad army you know i mean this this army is a massive army you know and our voices are you know, singular and lonely voices in the wilderness, in effect. Uh, whereas we have this chorus, uh, all singing in unison, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, singing, here's the real irony, Neil. They think they're radical and subversive. <laughs> uh, they are completely duped. I've never seen anything so ironic in my life. A lot of them are brainwashed and brain dead. They are, are anti-establishment. They think they're anti this they think the resistance to trump is, is the equivalent to some to the socialist re- some are, to a socialist revolution they're being whipped into a frenzy by various forces uh i don't have the research to to back it up to ex- except to say of course the mainstream media is involved and i think other uh individuals uh probably uh hillary clinton moles soros hirelings and so on well, and so forth well so but. organizing for action is where i want to go next
1: because uh-huh. they are um aligned with former president barack hussein obama and yeah. they uh it's on he, it's, it's actually on barackobama.com is organizing for action the link to the website and so they are um putting together protests
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i guess there are paid professional protesters this is Reported. Uh, I have a New York Post story in front of me. Um, there are other stories that um, I decided not to use as references because people are just going to say, "Well, you know, that's right. a right-wing paper." So let's go with the right. Post. Um, right. This is nothing new, though. This is what's going on. That when Obama said that he was quote hardened by anti-Trump protests um, through a spokesperson, he was sending a message of approval to these troops for organizing right. for action, and so right. these agitators. More than 30,000 people actually fight Trump every turn of his presidency by protesting, by causing anarchy in our streets.
0: Yeah, I mean, really, it's interesting that Obama has gone from being the president of the United States to the anti president of the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is like this, you know, like this, you know, like this, you know, like this anti uh, character. I mean, he's all about. It's un American. Oh. It's about negating Trump. Here's the thing. See, what they'll say uh, uh, on the left, because I I know the left very well, okay? Let me just put it that way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know it from the inside out, okay? I was in it very deeply, okay? I know how they think and what they think and why they think it. They think this. This is all justifiable because... uh, Trump is a, you know, is a Islamophobic, anti-Mexican, racist. Uh, He is, you know, terrible. He's going to deport all these people. He's ripping families apart. He's going to set up death camps. Some people. Obama
1: deported two and a half million uh, illegals. And Trump is enforcing the laws that Obama had on the books.
0: Actually, Obama, before Trump and to this day, because Trump has barely gotten started, uh, Obama, uh, uh, you know, He exported or um, threw out more immigrants than any president in history. I mean, there's no question about it. So, I mean, where are they coming from? B. But A, um, back to A, A is this. This isn't really a do-gooder scheme as they're being told. You know, the legions that are following them are being told this is all about this do-gooder scheme because they're against this bad villain who wants to hurt our people. This, this is a – these forces, Neil, are not about good do-gooding, OK? They don't – this is about getting cheap labor in the United States by any means necessary, mm-hmm. and they want open borders to do it. It's about driving down the cost of labor. Well, that's if people- where
1: Silicon Valley comes in. You know, all these guys are saying, oh, well, we support our refugees. Yeah, because you want to pay cheap labor, and then, right. you know, that increases your profit margin. So they're being duped.
0: And, and, you know, I don't, you know, like I said there, uh, some people on the right call it the globalists versus the nativists. You know, I mean, I don't, I'd say that there are some, a particular contingent apparently that is more oriented towards global capitalism than another contingent. And this is the contingent that is driving this rebellion, this resistance that, and the people they are driving to be the foot soldiers are utterly indoctrinated and duped into thinking it's for these righteous causes <laughs> when it's in fact about getting cheap labor for these other people. And there's
1: dirty <laughs> politics involved. Let me give you some stats. Um this organizing for action affiliated with Obama is uh, considers itself nonpartisan, which is a joke being that they're uh yeah, paying for protest. <laughs> um they're nonpartisan according to their website and they're a non profit. But um, the 501c4 um, doesn't um, it doesn't have to disclose its donors through that but what we do know is that they've raised more than 40 million dollars in contributions and grants mm-hmm. since evolving from Obama's campaign organization Obama for America that in mm-hmm. 2013 when they transformed so mm-hmm. 40 million dollars mm-hmm. for 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 what to
0: protest our president it's a professional protest uh, company. Uh, I was trying to conduct class. Ye- uh, yesterday, towards the end of the class, it was a class that went from uh, five, uh, uh, five to five to like six ten. Okay, but five to six, there's all this noise outside. Chanting, yelling, microphones, blah blah, blaring mm-hmm. sound. We can't conduct. We can't finish the class at at NYU because in Washington Square Park there's one of these professional protests underway. As I found out when I went outside, uh, just this. In all the signage is slick, and all the you know, and that there's all these speakers, and they have a stage, and this is going on almost every day. Yeah, this is a. Per- they're creating a, in, an industry, a protest industry. That's pathetic. Now, this is, as you said, it's highly funded. It's a highly funded industry of protest to le- delegitimate Trump at every moment, to undermine his potential to do anything as an executive of the United States. Who is elected dual leave on the American people. At the same time, there is uh, there's a smear campaign trying to uh, suggest that there has been some egregious information sharing with the Russians who have now suddenly become like the Soviet Union again for the left in the minds of the left. Interestingly, you notice how they can adopt a position that, you know, the left used to love the Soviet Union. Now they're the Mm -hmm. left that hates Russia. Right. And they're willing to whip them into this villain in order to because Trump is and then associate Trump with them as much as possible and then try to justify impeachment. So yeah, but let's
1: talk about because you mentioned you know the alleged Russian involvement. First of all, mm-hmm. what's the storyline? It's uh, fake news, in the fact that they say that it's Russia hacked the election—they didn't hack the that, election. That's the that, first thing. That, that they was they the storyline. Yeah, it wasn't. That, that wasn't the case. They never changed the votes. They never changed my vote. They never changed anyone's votes. So
0: right. that's wrong.
1: Okay, did right. they maybe put stuff up online? Maybe. Did that influence anyone? Oh, I don't what think they so.
0: It is they they released – apparently. They, although I don't even know that it was them. According to Assange, that's not the case at all. But anyway, right, right.
1: And WikiLeaks has never been wrong, by the way, up to this. The point. worst
0: we can say is that they released emails from the, you know, from the DNC, from the DNC organization, right, to the public. Whose fault is that, by the way? E- yeah, emails in which Hillary Clinton made racist and other slanderous remarks about particular groups that happened to be. Uh, Counted as among the main supporters of the Democratic Party.
1: Yeah, it just- showed the underbelly of the party. <laughs> it, it, it showed the the um, utter um, the utter disgust that they actually have for the American people.
0: And Yes, right, the underbelly of the beast that they are, you know, and— um, That they only care I, about votes. I don't say that, and I don't mean to give that religious connotations, but of those who want to take it that way, uh, that's fine. I, I know, outfit. I know, I don't. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, you know— yeah, this is, this is the truth about how they really think. They're cynical manipulators of people, you see.
1: Right. And how can we get this, more votes?
0: These emails proved how cynical they are. And what they're, why would people think that they would be that cynical then and are not that cynical now as they whip these liberals and leftists into a frenzy, which is what they're up to?
1: Yeah, well, look at the party right now. They're obliterated. They have no power in government. They lost over 700 state legislature seats since Obama mm-hmm. took office, Obama's yeah. still the leader of the party and he's gone. And so right. where, where do they go from here? I mean, they're well, looking they're at Keith boutique, Ellison.
0: What they are is a boutique party uh, of the coastal cities. Right. And uh, they ignore the rural America. Are, their main, you know, their main little thing is identity politics because they can't offer anything substantial to anybody. So all they do is pretend to, to be the big defenders of identity groups, which is costing them nothing. It's pure rhetoric, Right. pure rhetoric.
1: So today – and we're talking to NYU professor Michael Rechtenwald. Um, today at the University of Chicago, there were protests, um, anti-Trump protests, because Corey Lewandowski, uh, the former campaign manager, was set to speak there. And so a student protester wrote this saying, quote – Nothing about a firm commitment to free expression obliges us open our doors. This is the quote, even though it's poor English. Open our doors to those who incite hatred and violence against refugees, immigrants, and minorities. Wait I mean, a name a policy.
0: hatred and violence if not them? They're this, suppo- is the mo- this is the most Orwellian bullshit I've ever seen. Excuse my language, now, but I just can't take this. These are people that are smashing windows, throwing cars over, setting them on fire.
1: Yeah, they set a limo on fire of a Muslim immigrant. Nice job. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I just said that in D.C., at the inauguration, they set a limo on fire thinking that it had to do with Trump. So first of all, to me, this treason. Um, second of all, w- who it turned out to be was a wealthy Muslim immigrant that was in here um, who has a business, and that was the limo that it was, that they this set on fire. The, this
0: is the irony. Yeah, also outside of a Milo event, the, there was a shooting by an Antifa, uh of a purportedly Trump supporter, but it turned out to be a Bernie supporter. So, I mean, this is – they are the ones perpetrating violence. Yep. Okay, and they're doing it. And to shut down these speakers, they don't want anyone to be able to get to to get a word out there at all. So what they do is they throw riots wherever anybody goes who they don't like. And then they then the subsequent universities use that as a justification to disallow those speakers from coming. So you see. This is a tactic that they have adopted, Mm -hmm. and I think they're being – I I don't know if it's coordinated or what. I'm not a conspiratorialist, but this is an obvious tactic that's caught on. Yeah, yeah, and so that happened at the University of Chicago today. David Axelrod,
1: who is the um, former uh, engineer to the Obama campaign – and spoke at my school, actually, which I'm going to get to in a second. Um, he spoke at uh, my school around the debate time, which there were only uh, two conservative speakers in total, uh, one being uh, paired off with the Democrat, and the other being uh, Bobby Jindal. Um, but David Axelrod said today that, um, quote, you can't be an institute that there uh, that is there to promote democracy and um, shed uh, or shut discussion. Uh, or debate, um, and uh, we won't. Um, so at least Axelrod said we – and l- I mean, like, listen to your leaders. You know, like, yeah. even even people like – fair-minded people like Axelrod said we cannot do this. Obama well, in front of the cameras said we – when when you succeeding Trump, the country succeeds. Obviously, behind the scenes, you're doing something right. different that's clear, yeah. but, you yeah. know, come on. Like, where's the civility? Where's the respect of, of beliefs?
0: Yeah, um, you know, here's the thing. You know, what they're doing is by by having their front men say things like, you know, we can't be this and we can't be, we can't be a real democratic society if we don't let these people speak. You think it's just phony? That, it's phony. And then okay. on the other side, they're saying, go out there and cause hell. You now, raise hell, burn down the, the place, bust all the windows, spray pepper spray in women's faces who are wearing a makeup bitcoin grade again which mm. is what happened at uc or, or the
1: women's march that they excluded pro-life people so they're for all women well, they, unless you believe our pro-life
0: beliefs people they they excluded a group as a sponsor that was a pro-life organization of feminists yeah but yeah they did they wouldn't allow this pro-life feminist group be a be on the uh be one of the um groups, uh, one of the groups that were officials in the uh, march.
1: No, so it's a liberal women's march, let's be real. So anyway, let me tell you about this yeah. today, because I know you'd be interested in this. Um, Michael Rechtenwald, NYU professor, and uh, I appreciate you taking all this time. And no, It's no,
0: good, I'm sorry I'm, I'm a little bit uh, angry tonight, because this stuff is just, <laughs> it's beyond belief, you know, I mean, it's just...
1: Oh, don't, don't worry, I have a beer me myself, because uh, tough day today, two hours of... Um, Uh, This indoctrination that I had to sit through, it was billed as a fake news conference. So going in, I'm already prepared that it's going to be, oh, Trump's a liar, whatever. Um, It was worse than I expected, and I'm going to reach out to the speaker— um, uh-huh. In fact, let me give you the name because I don't care. Her name is Claire Wardle, and I'm going to reach out to her and invite her on the show on Sunday. Um, and I hope she comes on. She is a, uh, the executive director at nonprofit First Draft, it's called. Um, f- and she – but uh, what else does she do? I don't know. She went to Columbia. Uh, what did they do? And she what, also – What's her
0: field of – what's her discipline? Does it so she,
1: she's a UN – She's, she's a former U.N. refugee program something or whatever. What's her field
0: of study? I know, don't know. She just study, she just bashed studies? Trump for two hours. Probably women's studies or gender studies.
1: Oh, yeah. Actually, um, she mentioned – I wrote – I have all these sloppy notes because my handwriting is terrible. She was a – It can't um, be
0: sloppier than her education, trust me.
1: <laughs> I'm like a doctor with my handwriting. Um, She was something like media studies
0: or something. I don't know. Okay, media studies. Well, I mean that can or can't – I mean media studies can be one – you know, There's nothing worse than gender studies or, I mean, women's studies. I I mean, it's not because women are bad. It's because these fields are are a joke. Well, what are you going to do with it is my question, but
1: I don't want to get into that. Let me just tell you what the core of this was. So it started off by playing a video about um, Trump's lies, and I have all these quotes written down. Um, We are calling out Donald Trump's lies. We don't even know if he is— Uh, deliberately lying, if he even knows when when he's lying, to laughter. Of course, I'm the only one not laughing in the room. Um, uh, We have – so he talks about fake news but uses BuzzFeed as a source twice. Now, we know BuzzFeed published a dossier that came out um, Mm -hmm. that was false, and no other publication, not even the New York Times or Washington Post, would publish it. But BuzzFeed published it. So, okay, BuzzFeed is a trusted source to this um, speaker. Um, a, quote, Muslim registry was brought up, which has never been a thing. Um, mm-hmm. It was in the context of Facebook knowing uh, everything that we do. Well, whose mm-hmm. fault is that? You're putting it up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so Let me that's- ask
0: you one thing. Go yeah. ahead. What, what's the context here? Was this a required event that you had to attend? Yes, I was forced to go. Like under what auspices? What was the uh-
1: – Well, I don't want to name you know the course or anything, but it was for a oh, course. it
0: was for a course. Okay, gotcha. So, All right. you know, and I have to
1: write a um, – you know, uh, the thing is when you – when students are required to go to these things and then react to it, obviously they have to side on caution there. If you oh, yeah. disagree – I mean have let me ask you this. Do you yeah. know teachers in NYU that have marked students down for well, their I ideologies? I can
0: say that I know that for sure. I've had students tell me that they believe that's happened. Right. But I can't – It's hard to prove. Know, Yeah, I can't vouch for the veracity of such things, but, I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, I've heard really, you know, kind of compelling cases that this is going on. Uh, And I've heard students say that uh, uh, they had no real reason for having a lower grade than anyone else except their political uh, ideology or political uh, beliefs, yeah. Right. So,
1: you know, in this thing, they started off actually with – that they were both uh, the two speakers are both uh, immigrants. So take that as you may. They said because mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, clearly just setting the stage. And I was uh, prepared going in. Um, but then you know you have the the things the rhetoric that's coming out, um, and they think that they're funny. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, they say there are going to be some things that are off the record. So please don't tweet about it. Well, I never signed a contract. You know, who's, <laughs> it, who's to tell me things are off the record? Get an invitation to tweet. Go ahead. Yeah, yep. it, it, exactly. Um, so they started off, they go, are there any Russians in the room? To laughter. Um, does anyone what? know what the Cold War was? Like, these are the questions that they're, they're asking. And then. Was there
0: any counterpoint to this?
1: Uh, no, of course not. And, and, and if I raise my hand at the end, I mean, I'd be shot. Uh,
0: what was the, uh, upshot? Like, uh. It was a two-hour lecture, and was there any questions or? Um, There, it was uh, you
1: know, baby questions. um, You know, basically saying, well, how do how do we protect against fake news, and and how do we make sure that um, President Trump tells us the truth? First of all, the you know, there are some great journalists out there, okay, Mm -hmm. but a lot of them they're taking it upon themselves to go against Trump because they thought that he was so vile, and this proves it. By mm-hmm. going to this conference, by you know, whatever she would call herself, I don't know if she considers herself a journalist or whatever, but to you know, take it to the the extent that we need to bring him down because he is so vile, you mm-hmm. can have no authority or have no um, impartiality to the American yeah. people if you believe that. And you're based in New York City or wherever, and you know, or Los Angeles for the most part.
0: How do you know what people in Wisconsin are going through? But there was no sense that any of the cases of fake news being offered up as examples were other than news items that were uh, pro-Trump. In other words, the fake news was all pro-Trump news. But there was nothing like any indication that you know the the uh, the left might actually be propagating fake news. Nothing no, like they that. played
1: they played a propaganda clip of. Um, a uh, clip from the deplorable that happened the night before the inauguration, and somebody saying, and listen, uh, let's let's be honest, okay? And I wouldn't criticize the left that they had an event if Hillary won. And, you know, the, the guy sounded like he was inebriated, and he was asked, and he goes, well, we directed the culture, and, you know, the Internet uh, gave Trump the election. So they were using that as, oh, my God, this is fake news. This is outrage. Um OK, let's talk about the planned programs that the that the left put forth. We mentioned the Women's March. Um, how about uh, David Duke? You know, when he said that I support Trump, there was outrage. Do you disavow this? Well, David Duke now supports um, the radical Keith Ellison. And and um, <laughs> where's the disavowing from the left over that?
0: Right. I hear I mean, crickets. You know, so there's so much. Yeah, I mean, there's so much nonsense. I mean, uh, there was, a, you know, there's already been a lot of uh, indication that much of what the New York Times floated about Trump was nonsense. Certainly, they misread the election. If that wasn't that was not necessarily what I would call fake news, but what it was was wishful thinking news. You know, they were writing stories in, under the assumption that Trump was going to lose or must lose somehow, and the whole bent of the newspaper during the entire election process was utterly. A, It was a propaganda machine. Right. I mean
1: the Times put it on their front page that they were not – that they could not cover Trump fairly. And then yesterday – want to speak about fake news, I wrote down a list even before the conference started while I was waiting, killing time. Um, I wrote down the Martin Luther King bus that was there the entire time. I wrote down the Times yesterday quoted a fake Twitter account of General Michael Flynn, Um, Mm. (laughs) Russia hacked the election we talked about. There is no such thing as a Muslim ban. It was an immigration suspension from seven terror nations. There are six nations that are ahead of um, – ahead in Muslim population before you get to the first ban. Um, The ICE raids over the weekend were not Trump's order. It was ordered under Obama. It was enforced by Trump. Um, The BuzzFeed Mm -hmm. dossier I mentioned, and then they say this. They say, well, the White House – they uh, stripped the um, website, whitehouse.gov, of everything climate change and everything science. That's false. What Mm -hmm. was going on during the inauguration was they were transitioning from the Obama White House page to the Trump White House page and deleting everything on the Obama page. And starting right. a fresh page, and I and searched never, in never, the conference.
0: Uh, they never retracted that or or, or or qualified what they had said before, right? No,
1: and if it was retracted, it was a it was a little line on the bottom. And so I even searched on WhiteHouse.gov during the conference, and I searched climate change, and voila, all of these things that have happened in the last month.
0: Right. Um, you, know, you know, I mean, there's also the not just fake news, but I would call them staged news that's going on and that is many cases of supposed anti-immigrant anti-semitic uh, uh activity that has happened since the election are actually being orchestrated and take and being executed by by anti-trump people in order to make, uh, Trump supporters look uh, racist and uh, and Islamophobic and so on and so forth.
1: Well, yeah, and they even – so this speaker even said, quote, um, the human race uh, can be a bit – I'm going to say crappy, but it's the S word. Um, so the difference – so as soon as I heard that, I thought of a, a Ronald Reagan quote. He once said that. Man is uh, is generally good, something to that effect. Then he believes that that men are, you know, that people are um, generally uh, good people. And Mm -hmm. so the difference I think between uh, liberals and conservatives here is the outlook on life. That they have Mm -hmm. a very negative outlook, and you know, they're they like to race bait the whole thing. I mean, I'm hearing over and over again about white privilege today, and apparently because I'm a white man, I shouldn't have an opinion, and Mm -hmm. that. uh, what else um there are that um uh, you believe everything you see and you're hearing it from white men and then they have they bring up Dan Rather okay um and yeah. say you oh, know people used to people, people used to trust Dan Rather and used to take the news from real people okay and they're not doing it anymore and i blame fox news um all right there are right. serious journalists at fox white
0: male. yeah they have uh, so many contradictions but yeah but Dan, Dan know, Rather
1: lied Dan Rather tried to get George W Bush uh you know he, they tried to get him to lose the re-election
0: that's true. And he was fired. Uh, let me just say this also. You notice how the worth of a statement is not what is said. It's not the actual content, the semantic content of the statement. It's actually ba- the, the value of it for them is utterly and totally based on who's stating it. Mm-hmm. So you see, identity becomes the, the actual equivalent of the remark. So nothing is what it is. It's merely identity. So when a white male speaks, it's just white male speak. That's yep. all it means. That's all it is. Uh, and similarly for ethics, Neil, uh, they have ethics used, you know, as is a, is a field of study. It's one of the branches of philosophy, ethics, uh, ontology and epistemology. Ethics was a field about human behavior, how to be, how to act How do I conduct myself as a human being? Ethics was always based on behavior. Today, under SJW ideology, ethics is based on identity. There's an ethical totem pole that has to do with identity. And your ethical status is not about your behavior anymore. It is about your identity. And this is a very pernicious development because it it, 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 it it obscures what people are really doing. It excuses people of of the right identities, that is the underprivileged, so to speak, the minorities, the excluded, the marginalized, and it, and it excuses their bad behavior. And it makes, it, it provides prima facie evidence of bad behavior before behavior even happens mm-hmm. uh, on the part of white people. People, and particularly white males, are the, are the worst villains of all. Uh, NYU Professor
1: Michael Rechtenwald, I have to ask you though, like, why, what is this um, crusade? It's like, I mean, first of all, if you look up, and I have to say this, and I'm saying it kind of facetiously, but look up the definition of racism. What does it say? It's bias against, it's bigotry against any race, right? Against another. Um, yeah. What's with this uh, that you're just because of the color of your skin? you are privileged. Um, what is with um these people saying that um we can't be listening to white men but then they cite Silicon Valley? I and mean, that's just hypocrisy, but um yeah. you know, what's uh, what's with uh, this whole these this race baiting and that uh, white old white men are the problem. I mean I had once somebody tell me that I have this white privilege that um, I can't understand what people are going through.
0: Um, I'm sorry, well, I interview veterans and,
1: and know that they're dying and that they suffer from
0: PTSD, and you throw rocks at them. The the best way I've ever come across to explain what's what this particular ideology or doctrine, or I should say, dogma, mm-hmm. is that it's religious in character. Okay, whiteness. And, and there are parallels with Christianity, for example. Not to put down on Christianity, but in fact, it's borrowing from Christianity in a perverse way. The new original sin is whiteness slash masculinity, okay?
1: Under yeah. Christianity,
0: you could expiate, pay for your guilt, okay? Or the guilt actually, according to strict Christianity, it was paid for by Jesus Christ and uh, his death and resurrection. That, that is, there's mercy available in the Christian doctrine. There's, there's original sin in SJW ideology. It is whiteness slash masculinity. But there's no mercy. There's no redemption. You're doomed. You're damned forever. You can't expiate the guilt. There's nothing you can do. And there's nobody to save you either. Uh, that's the best way I can give you to understand what it's about. How this has come about is... Purely through ideological manipulation over a period of time, such that the idea that being white itself was a privilege that gave you some sort of advantage, this has been perpetrated and to the exclusion of a discourse of rights. You see, what they have done is supplant the discourse of rights and in its place put a discourse of privilege. Now, What does that lead to? It leads to this: rights can't be constitutionally or otherwise supposedly taken away, but privileges can. You see?
1: Oh, okay. So say
0: you have a privilege, (laughs) it is something that can be rightfully taken from you.
1: Yeah. Well, that's that's
0: the end game, Neil.
1: Yeah. How about we just kind of? I mean, you know, our they're the ones that say we just need to we just need love. Um. All right. So let's just respect one another. One one another. I mean, I don't. Love Trump's I mean, hate. Love Trump's hate. Yeah. Man. Right. I truly what? don't. like hit you over the head with something. Right. Yeah. Like I truly <laughs> don't look at, um, color. I mean, I really don't. I mean, I don't know. Uh, we're not living in the '60s. I I know there were problems clearly, and that we have that there that this goes on. But it's not every single person who believes in smaller government. <laughs> you yeah, know, as a I mean. Matter
0: of fact, I'm not sure that I uh, even uh, subscribe to the notion that there's systemic racism as such. No,
1: no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying I understand yeah. that there there are individuals who probably have those um, racist beliefs that there are individuals in the, out of 350 million in the country, but I, I don't think it's systemic. I don't
0: really think it should matter what people believe. It's what right. they do that matters, right? If you're not doing anything to abridge somebody's rights, if you're not trying to stop somebody from living, from getting a job, from getting to work, from having a family, from doing having food, from from uh, behaving, you know, worshiping as they wish No, or they not. stop
1: themselves from getting jobs because they're instead um, stifling free speech and protesting all the time. Right. I mean, how
0: they have time for this, I don't know. But whether people believe in something or not, you know, I mean, look, you can't eradicate things from people's heads and really all you can arbitrate is behavior. You know, it goes back to what I was saying about ethics, but uh, you can't really do anything else and to try to do this is really, this is what they're about. And it's, and they're trying to suggest that there's this germinal evil inside of, uh, the white male in particular that, you know, uh, produces this bad, uh, you know, this evil, pernicious racist society. Uh, and so we have to do something to them in order to to rectify it. You see, but it's it's really, it's a perverse political project, uh, that's being undertaken on the basis of a supposedly ethical principle, but it's very deeply flawed ethically. It's totally Mm -hmm. immoral. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's exhausting
1: because just, you know, I actually feel as if I'm going to get killed for this, but there, there is to an extent on college campuses Um, reverse discrimination where, um, yeah, political persecution, but also like they look at you as if, oh, well, I mean, remember somebody, I forget her name, I don't know, some wackadoodle who was going for um, share of the DNC who said, well, my job, and she's a white woman, my job is to shut other white people up
0: and not give them a chance to speak. Yes, there was the other woman who said what we don't need right now is a white person leading the Democratic Party then they wonder why so many white people fled the party <laughs> yeah exactly and, and <laughs> sure the white are they working kidding? class what right. are they trying? so basically let's re- let's basically up the ante on the reason why we lost and double down on our bad on our bad policy and our identity politicking and our hatred for whites you know and the the, the you know they've alienated people, and then they expect to actually get their support. Well, because
1: they thought though that that they didn't need them, that they had enough minorities to win, and then they've they blame Trump and they blame the Trump administration. You know, um, the campaign manager and and the Hillary campaign. They they say that um, uh, Jen Palmieri um, said to Kellyanne, "Oh well, you're um, you were perpetrating and, and allowing uh, white supremacists to come into the campaign." Um, but they're the ones that kicked all the whites, uh, you know, away from the party. So what are they like? Wh- like, I just don't. I really, the rhetoric is
0: insane. It's yeah. insanity. I mean, yes, I mean they are also. You, you've gotten me thinking about one point that I've made several times is that their identity politics is producing the identity politics of the right. That is to say, they are generating or helping to generate the alt right which is the identity politics branch, mm. right? The alt-right is an identity politics. They are all about identity politics. They say they're about identity politics. They don't abjure identity politics. Uh, they say that they're just a different identity politics. Yeah. Why can't we have our identity politics if you have yours? And, you know, I mean, so they've given a rationale for this kind of politics, this identity politics, which is starting, you know, which started on the left. Let's be real. Yeah. And it's given a rationale for identity politics of the right people that are thrown out and said, your identity doesn't count in our party. You people are nothing. You're deplorables. You're flyover people. Yeah. No wonder these people left the party and no wonder some of them went so far as to say we're going to have a white identity party. You know, I mean, uh, politics. Well, no wonder. I'm not saying they're right. Of course, I don't. Uh, I I don't agree with alt right. Of course, I- identity politics. I think it's abysmal. But and me neither. Obviously, logical that it came about. You know what I'm saying? Culturally, it's logical.
1: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I I think that um, two. I wish that there could be two strong parties because yes, although I'm a conservative, I also wish that it'd be better for the country if there were two. More moderate parties that okay you have one that's more conservative on economics maybe more hawkish on national security and the other you know um, have have a little different standpoint but let's not go crazy and be on the because they have a radical alt left and yeah. you know they and you know I could very well see how this that they actually
0: fostered that alt right movement that they love to talk about but they are, that's they not are the majority they are fostering it they, yeah they. they are. are. And they may – some people that are Im- involved may know that they're fostering it too, but I'm not sure about that. But um, they are fostering it.
1: NYU Professor Michael Rechtenwald, real quick, I want to just get through some other examples and just get your quick opinion of this. Um, Yale announced that they're hosting a Black Panther Party. I don't know if you saw this
0: for Black I heard, History Month. I heard- Murmurs about it,
1: yeah. Yeah, well, they're not the only school. There's a city school on Long Island. Um, there are other schools as well um, all across the country that are promoting um, Black Panther Party. Now, of course, the Black Panther Party was a black nationalist and socialist movement which sought to empower black community leaders and improve the socioeconomic position of black Americans and other minority communities as outlined in political platforms um, adopted by the party in 66, 1966, mm-hmm. 1972. Um, but... Mixed up within this is that they're they exclude people from the party, people that are uh, that are white, they exclude um, people who disagree, obviously, and mm-hmm. they also, uh, the Black Panther Party historically, um, were killing police officers.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's national, it's black nationalism, it's separatism, and it is. Um, you know they say they're pro they're pro-black which you know totally they are pro-black but they're also you know, they've also had significant indications that they're anti-white and that they see and anti-law regular, law enforcement they think that uh, all the problems of uh, black america are due to white devils of some sort so i mean this this is back to the same point this is bad this is pernicious Because it, 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 you know, no wonder you have the all right coming up when you're promoting the, you know, when colleges, uh, you know, Ivy League schools are promoting black nationalists and black separatist parties.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, Black History Month, we should be celebrating. Let's talk about the stories like Jackie Robinson.
0: Speak just like the right, you know, the speaker. Let them have a speaker come, sure. But the sponsor, um, what are they doing exactly? A month of. Uh, a a so, party, a
1: Black Panther party, which you can only imagine what riots could come out of that. A Black I mean, Panther party, what party. if we just did a history lesson where we talked about, like, the things that um, people like Martin Luther King Jr. and Jackie Robinson had to put up with. I mean, if you just listen to, like, um, Jackie Robinson's widow, uh, Rachel yeah. Robinson, every year, you know, when she's, um does the Major League Baseball thing um, for Jackie Robinson Day, and she talks about how he— was treated viciously every day, day in day out, and he persevered. That is a true story, and that's a hero for them. Yeah, not, but we
0: don't want that kind of we don't want that kind of adversity to be thrust upon anybody, you know. Um, but but uh, that's a true
1: hero. That is a true. Yeah. That's that's someone to look up to. And Martin Luther King Jr. Obviously, and there were other examples. Of, you know, I'm not uh, I don't, I'm not shortchanging here. But you know, to look up
0: to the Black Panthers who kill cops. Um, yeah, I mean, even you, know. The, you know, even the the cop killing is is one thing, but the thing that really, I mean, that's disturbing, of course. But for me, the most disturbing thing is the separatism, the na- black nationalism, the kind of politics that it represents, which is a politics of racial division. And this, of course, encourages a, a politics of racial division. Mm hmm. Of all ra- you know, other races are going to have their parties. I mean, you know, a white, a, a white panther party, you know, I mean, what do you expect? Well, uh, isn't obviously- it, isn't it like the equivalent of
1: the KKK where, you know, it, it's maybe not the equivalent, but it's, it's
0: similar. Well, there's parallels, so, but I won't go so There are far parallels, there are that, parallels. Yeah. One is see that their argument and see and here's where I know, you know, the left inside out. Their argument is it's not the same at all because they're they're talk you're talking about a an oppressed group of people, okay? And an oppressed group of people have the right to to, to organize against oppression. I agree they do. Mm-hmm. Oppressed people have a right to organize against oppression. Absolutely. I accor- I agree with that one hundred percent. However, uh, what they're doing is uh, their their actual approach to this oppression is a kind of – It's uh, violent.
1: Hmm? It's violent.
0: It's a violent militant uh, and, and, in fact, a very divisive – Uh, and not, you know, universalist solution to this problem, yeah.
1: All right, Um, let me get to just real quick other things. College Republicans suspended by UC Irvine after hosting Milo Yiannopoulos. That happened uh, when in June. The president of uh, University of California Irvine College Republicans denied access to the UC Women's Caucus Leadership Congress Conference because she wasn't there for, quote, the right reasons, um, and I don't like the values that you have. That actually I came read out today. briefly, yes. Um, I mean, unbelievable. They, this goes on and on. You have the University of California. Uh, oh, oh, it's always California. Um, they're holding signs reading, Blue Lives Don't Matter, um, mm-hmm. Please Kill the Mentally Ill, and F the Police. That was in October. And right. then you have a school newspaper publication. Um, well, you have people getting beaten for wearing uh, a female almost getting beaten by a male for wearing a Make America Great Again hat on campus. And then you have school papers publishing – Um, you know, uh, human interest stories, and asking um, a man on the street, do you believe Betsy DeVos is fit to be Secretary of Education? Why or why not? And the quote here is, I don't believe she's fit for, um, for Secretary of Education. I don't approve of anyone that Trump picks. She hasn't gone to public school, and she hasn't sent her kids to public school, so she really doesn't know much about public school. Public education needs a lot of reform, and I believe she doesn't know how to do it. Um, explain because obviously she doesn't know what she's talking about. And for like that response is so vague. And if that was a short response, she doesn't
0: even, she doesn't even, she doesn't doesn't deserve to breathe. That's what they really think. She Um, should be dead. Trust me. That's what they think.
1: By the way, the, the Democrats, they all in Washington send their kids to private schools and the public schools. We talked about this on, um, uh, on a podcast. Uh, when was this on, monday's podcast we talked about education with uh, an inner city school teacher who works for a union and it was interesting because he said that um betsy devos has some good ideas in that private education works but we shouldn't obviously we shouldn't take away public schools but there should be a mix of of competition and that mm-hmm. there should be charter schools that can only make our educational system better
0: i, I, I noticed on uh, on facebook for example friends posting about you know devos and putting her down and liberal friends, college professors, you know. And then I noticed the addresses from which they were posting, you know. Uh, one was Mount Lebanon, PA, which is Mount Lebanon, PA, which is like the upper crust suburb of Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. You know, easy for you to say public schools only when you're in the Mount Lebanon school district, okay? But for me, who lived on the lower north side of Pittsburgh, okay, going to a public school was a go-straight-to-jail card. Luck, luckily that my luckily for me and my siblings, my parents sacrificed to put us through a Catholic private school. Okay, otherwise we'd be in jail. Yeah, and
1: there's time. also no accountability, and that was something that we discussed on Monday's podcast. And then I just want to read you one last thing um, in this school paper. Um, what's the most memorable class you've taken at the school, and why? Um, probably cultural globalization, because of the professor. <laughs> a name's professor, and I'm not going to name the professor, um, and all of the readings. Um, In most of my classes here, the readings have been written by white men, but we had this reading that countered that because it was written by women from all around the world, women of color, and the way that the professor taught the class changed the way I view the world. To me, that's alarming. The way the professor taught the class changed the way I view the world. To me, that signals
0: indoctrination. Well, I mean, it's okay if the way they taught the class— change the way they see the world but the problem is it's always in a certain way that they're changing the way they see the world it's to a particular worldview and a particular ideological framework that the students are all being indoctrinated into for just by virtue of the fact that she said they were you know other than um, so many of these authors were white men so what yeah so what what does that have 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 to do do with with anything yeah yeah, what does that have to do with what are they saying? Not who are they? What are they saying? Similarly, what are they doing? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a, it goes back to the same thing. It's all identity politics. I mean, based.
1: yeah, it's like I you know none of us could determine how we come out. I'm, I'm sorry, but um, let me ask you one last question, and that's a very simple one uh, with a very complicated answer, I'm sure. <laughs> how how the hell do we go forward and change things because? Um uh, Monday we talked about education in terms of the actual construct of, of teaching but mm-hmm. you have this indoctrination problem and like I said before I'd be scared to send my kids away to college fearing that they'd come back brainwashed um yeah. how do you how do you change things you're a professor at New York University which you know I mean I don't want to take a shot at NYU it's one of the best schools in the country supposedly but I mean these are these are the brightest minds that we have
0: well what i'm doing personally uh and you know is to i'm um i'm starting a consortium of uh of thinkers and actors who will uh hope to counter pc hegemony both inside and outside the academy and to give a very solid rationale and argumentation and platform for countering pc hegemony to tell to really explain thoroughly why this is pernicious, to offer counter alternatives to it, and to try to penetrate the university with a different approach. Um, also, trying to work with another professor at NYU. I'm. Um, I think I can say his name, Jonathan Haidt, okay. who started uh, an organization called Heterodox Academy, which is similarly working inside the universities. To, uh, um, to, you know, basically uproot PC hegemony as such to, you know, to make other perspectives possible, to make it to, you know, his argument, and I agree with this, is the university has two ways it could go. One, it could become SJU, social justice university, or it could become TU, truth university. Take your pick, but you can't have it both ways. Mm-hmm. Of course, I and he both think that it should be truth university. We should be trying to seek knowledge. We should be trying to seek to make knowledge, construct new knowledge, seek knowledge, seek various perspectives on the world and not be a incubator for indoctrination. So that's how I'm working at it. I'm having the first meeting of this consortium this week. I'm inviting thinkers, like-minded people, left, right, and center, to join us, and we will be beginning that shortly. Yes.
1: Well, I wish you luck, and I hope you stay in touch. And you're welcome to come on well, anytime um, on the podcast or the show. And and I hope that, um, and you know, listen. Let's be honest. Uh, the people who um, are left-leaning that agree that subscribe to this ideology of you know indoctrination. They clearly did not make it to this point of the podcast, no, and probably not, to not listened to me past the first um, show. Even yeah. though they're, they're I, a lost
0: cause, mostly. Yeah, yeah but you know,
1: and I'm just telling it the way it is. I mean, listen, I don't, I, I um, am pretty honest. I tell both sides, but um, you know, if they didn't make it to this point, that's their loss. Because I think you can learn something from listening to people that you don't agree with, which is why I stayed in for those two hours today. Because I actually wanted to. Maybe there's something I'm missing. Yeah. Honestly, you just confirmed my views, and it also was very – it was a very dark view of um, of where we're at right now as a country, um, and, yeah. it's, and it's and me. But listen, keep in touch, and let me know what you do because I hope that we can change things. Um, NYU professor Michael Rechtenwald, I'm going to give you Twitter handle. It is at anti-PC NYU prof on Twitter. That's not- right? Right. Thank you, Neil. Yes. All right, Professor recton wall thank you so much, and we'll touch you soon, okay? Thank you for having me, Neil. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, well, that wraps up the Wednesday edition of the Neil A. Caruso Show podcast. Um, it's unbelievable what's going on at college campuses. You you really almost wouldn't believe it if you didn't hear it, um, all of the details that you did in that interview. So um, it's our duty to tell you. Uh, it's a little discouraging, but you know what? If we don't tell you, nothing will happen, and then it'll just hurt the country as a whole and um, the future, um, you know, society and the whole the whole thing. Um, you can go to my Twitter, Facebook, Instagram page if you want to get engaged with the show and get engaged with uh, what all we're doing here, the Neil A. Caruso Show podcast. At Neil A. Caruso on all the social media accounts at Caruso Enter uh, My Company on Twitter. Um, thanks for tuning in. Tomorrow, U.S. Army combat veteran Jeffrey McQueen on the program. We'll talk to you then. Till then, continue to do your part to make America great again. Take care. God bless America.